Hey friends, welcome to Life Together Unscripted. This podcast is for those of us who are just a bit tired of everything that looks so polished and schmick in the world. Production that's squeaky clean that you know has been practiced a million times. So we are hopeful that you enjoy the unedited and unscripted nature of this show. We can promise you that this episode you're listening to today uh, was unplanned on the front end and unedited and untouched on the back end. So we hope you enjoy this episode. This is Life Together Unscripted. Hey, Dom. Hey, Amanda. Thanks for coming on the show today. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Can you hear me okay? Hear you great. Thank you. Hey, um, off the bat, I was trying to think, where do I want to start this interview? Um, because we do have a history and we, um, I had the privilege of working with you for a while, which was really cool. And um, one of the things that I was reflecting on as I was thinking about our work experience together, our time together, was um, I just wanted to commend you because you've got a beautiful faith, sister. And, and part of that is um, your prayer life. Uh, it, it's on display and, and you don't, I don't mean that in a showy way, um, but the intersection of your prayer life and your work life um, was very, it had a synergy to it. And I'd be keen to know off the bat, um, how did that develop? Like where, what were you inspired by, whether books or people or experiences? Talk, tell me about your prayer life journey. Oh gosh, that's a big question to start off with. Um, look, my, um, I grew up in a single parent home and, and was, didn't become a Christian until I was 22, but my mum has got quite an incredible faith and she's a prayer warrior. She's this quiet little thing that you a timid little mouse type person and you would never know that she was locked in a prayer room. And we knew as kids that if you um, got up early at 6 o'clock in the morning, you knew not to go in the lounge room because mum would be in there and that would be her time with God. And that's um, we saw God answer prayer through that a lot. So we grew up below the poverty line um, after my dad and mum broke up and we didn't know we were poor because mum didn't, <laughs> we didn't feel like we were, but yeah. we were. And um, we used to see um, bags of groceries turn up on our front doorstep when we, you know, we'd get home and go, oh, and mum would go, oh, and then would head off to her bedroom for a little cry because it was right when she needed it. Um, we'd find uh, $50 notes in envelopes stuffed under the door and it'd be mm. right when mum needed it. Um, it was, you know, it was just, it was, mum was incredibly, uh, she was a good, she was an incredible role model in that respect. And when I became a Christian, um, I was really lucky and privileged to go to a church called Crossway Baptist and they had a very big um, prayer ministry there. I always believed in the power of prayer. I'd seen it at work. And I don't think, and people used to laugh. They'd go, we had this, I remember being in a small group once and they said, oh, so, you know, um, how much do you all pray? Because we were going, talking about prayer. And I went, oh, I pray all the time. What do you mean? And they're going, what do you mean? I go, well, I, I drive along and I'll go, God, so this is what's on my mind at the moment. And I'd have a little chat. And they'd go, I said, but doesn't it? And as, as this little immature Christian going, but doesn't it say pray without ceasing? So don't you just do it? Isn't that what people do? And they're all looking at me going, hmm, okay, you're out of the box. Yeah. <laughs> but, so you know, I, I think, God, I, I don't know how you do this life without God and I don't know how you serve people um, in, in a way particularly that's meaningful without committing things to prayer. And I'm not saying that I'm, I'm this 
incredible prayer warrior who, you know, sets aside four hours a day. I don't. But I'll be someone who, you know, if if I have something that's going on in life, I'll periodically chat to God about it <laughs> through absolutely. the day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and thank you. Thank you for that. No, really, it was it was an inspiration to me to it's interesting because um uh, I think working in an office environment, whether Christian or other, we have the privilege to gather together um, via prayer. And um, some people, uh, so it can be easy for ministry sometimes to just be an office job, but to be reminded um, the fact that absolutely God is in charge of everything and we need him um, is is what you brought. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, one more thing I wanna pull you up on prayer. I do, I am curious. A repetitive prayer of yours was that God would do a new thing. And I remember that. I noticed that. Um, and, you know, I think it's a nod to Isaiah. But you tell me, like, what is that background and, and what does that mean to you? Oh, wow. That's a great question because half the time I don't even realize I do it. You know, you just there, there's some things that you pray. Um, for me, um, I want to see God do a new thing in us individually um and you know half of that comes with a whole lot of pain and suffering because <laughs> when you ask you got to be careful when you say you know god you know that song um refiner's fire my heart's desire is to know jesus you know and it's like um you know uh, refine me lord by your fire and i'm like do you really know what you're praying do you really want to do that okay because <laughs> i think we just get stuck in the rut of going oh, you know um, I'll pray these rote prayers. But for me, um, do a new thing is, you know, our world is broken mm -hmm. and the people within it, whether they're Christians or not, we all have um, spots where in our faith we get a bit sort of laissez-faire. We get yeah. a bit, you know, and, and I want God to do a new thing in me and mm -hmm. that sometimes is really, you know, it's not easy all the time. But, you know, isn't that what yeah. we what? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, oh well, I don't want to just be remain the same. I want to grow, I want to learn, I want to, you know, be more like Jesus, which is not an easy feat. And, and it's not an easy ask too, badly. right? <laughs> I do it really badly. <laughs> yeah. But no, that's um it's good to want to want that. Um, you know, like it's just uh sorry about that. We had a um I just had someone at the door and that was very confusing. But no, it is, um, as you're mentioning, it's a hard prayer to pray, but it is a worthwhile prayer to pray that we continue to ask for that newness, that we continue to ask for God to chip away. And that's so good. Um, you mentioned a bit of a rough upbringing. So if you're um, okay with that, I'd love to know, what does that mean to you? You, you mentioned below the poverty line. And I guess a question I'd be keen to know, you said you, you were a bit uncertain about what that meant and, and mom was aware of those things. Um, when did that become a reality? Like when were you kind of privy to that awareness that you were below the poverty line and what did that look like? Did it come with teasing? Did it come with just an awareness of where mom was at? Like what, how did you actually cognitively start to understand that? Um, look, uh, I think when I say below the poverty line compared to other people, probably not because mum was really smart and she was put everything into purchasing a roof hour over our heads. Um, and I want to preface by saying the age old, I was born into a Christian home. 
And those things can go really wrong really quick if you aren't asking God to do a new thing in you, if you're not um, aware and reflecting on, well, where am I at? If you're allowing the world to seep in, if you're broken and don't want to get fixed or don't know how to, um, if you're dealing with, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff. But my, um, uh, yeah, my my mum and dad, dad had an affair for a couple of years and he, 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 when we came to Melbourne when I was five, which is a long time ago now, he, um, he got sucked into the world. Now, my dad was an incredibly... Um, smart man. He was a um, lay preacher at times. I found, you know, a Bible that he'd written into mum about, you know, following her heart for kids and, and, you know, with Bible verses. And we're like, well, that's not the dad we saw. Um, and when we moved to Melbourne, he got well and truly seduced by the world. So he was working for the Australian Institute of Management as an executive director. And he started traveling the world and he started seeing things and mum was a very is still a very uh loving family orientated woman and dad had a really hard upbringing so he lost his mum at 16 and he had um a father he didn't know how to be a dad Mm. and he didn't know how to do he really he was a broken man and as they say hurt people hurt people um and I am am thankful to God all the time for my mum because she basically, um, when mum and dad split up, he moved on with this young woman who was 20 years his junior. Um, and she was left with four kids who were, you know, I can't speak for my siblings and their their experience, but I can say from my experience, um, she let us be who we were and she encouraged us to grow. And And I know as an adult now she was praying for each of us. And I look at our family now and I go, man, but by the grace of God, go we. You know, they say kids from divorce have divorces themselves. My siblings are all still married (laughs) after 30 years. Um, And, you know, we, I suppose when Dad left, there were things like my sister used to love ballet and used to do ballet dancing and stuff like that, and that had to stop. We didn't have a car Mum didn't get a licence till she was 40, so I used to walk everywhere. A treat for us was to walk an hour and 10 minutes to McDonald's, <laughs> <laughs> have McDonald's but have, a, you know, a small Happy Meal thing and then walk all the way home and by the time we get home we'd be hungry again. <laughs> but it was like that was a treat. <laughs> um, I played a lot of basketball, so I used to walk an hour to training and then walk home and, you know, it was things like that and, I always had hand-me-down clothes and, um, you know, it's that sort of stuff. And I, when I was 14, I started working at a, um, this is the way God um, answers prayer as well, I started working in a hot bread shop. And when I was leaving every night, they'd go, oh, look, we're going to throw the bread out, so you might as well take what's left over or whatever you want. So I became the breadwinner of the family. <laughs> there you go, literal breadwinner, yeah. <laughs> so I worked there for four years, you know, and that was an incredible help to mum because can you imagine feeding four growing kids and you've got free bread happening? <laughs> we yeah. all love bread a little too much. <laughs> so good. But, yes, I mean, that's the thing. We, we didn't know that we were we knew we didn't have what everyone else had and I think for me a big confusion was when I'd go to my dad's house and dad had everything that opened and shut 
everything. Like you, he had when um, in 1982, which is a long, as I said, a long time ago, <laughs> he had um, a remote control record player. <laughs> you know, it was something that, and I just remember being in awe of this thing going, wow. And there's part of me that was seduced by this brand new house and this big white fluffy couch. And then I'd go home and um, it would be stuff everywhere because, you know, to mum, what was more important was having a discussion with us um, and making sure we were okay than spending heaps of time doing all the, you know, house duties. (laughs) So our emotional well-being was more important to mum. And I, I, I reflect back and I look at look at in my mind's eye, I think, gosh, the house was really representative of the inner turmoil of each of us. It was just like a bomb. I mean, with four kids. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, it's funny. I was going to go in a different direction, but then you reminded me of I'm a child of divorce as well. And um, just thinking through the complexity of working out your own understanding of what your parents are doing right in real time and you're a younger person and all of that. And um, and I would hear, you know, things from my mom about my dad and things from my dad about my mom. And it really took me, man, into my 20s to kind of uh yeah, mid-20s probably to start to really actually form my own opinion and understandings of their wins and their losses as people, right? You know, their shortcomings and their strengths. And um, and that took a really long time. But curious for you, what is your experience of divorce as it relates to understanding your parents more and um, relating to them as an adult now? Well, my father passed away um, in 1985, so he's been gone for quite some time now. So we were left with um, unanswered questions. And you look back now, and and it's funny, I was chatting to mum the other day and saying, and she says it's interesting getting to know my children as adults because I see bits of my ex-husband in them. And there's good bits and there's bad bits. Like she had a bit of a thing at me the other day and she goes, don't be so sarcastic. And I went... <laughs> yep, there's my dad <laughs> poking through. Um, but it, it's, I think, um, mum, unlike your situation, mum never said anything bad about my dad. And you know what? She could have. And that was her choice. We came from Adelaide, and mum said, um, you know, when mum and dad split up, um, her dad said, move back to Adelaide. We want to look after you. We want to make sure you're all okay. And my mum's, <laughs> my mum's response was, um, I want the kids to have a relationship with their dad. And if we're in Adelaide, that's definitely not going to happen. It's going to be hard enough if we're here. So she chose, she made a very sacrificial choice to stay here in, in, in Melbourne for, for our sake. And, and interestingly, you know, it was four years later or five years later that he died. Um, and, you know, yeah, it's it's... What I look at now, and I said to mum, because the last year dad was alive, because he had he died of cancer and he didn't know he had it till, you know, he about three weeks before he died. Um, but he he was at our, our our Christmas and he came in the door and mum said, oh, and my stepmother came in as well. And um, she was sitting all over him and with arm around him and all this. And I said to mum as an adult, I said, mum, how did you deal with that? And she goes, well, did you ever notice that I used to go and do the dishes? Mm. <laughs> she just remove herself. Mm. And, yeah, I, I have um, utmost respect for my mum. She's, mm. yeah, she's not perfect, don't get me wrong. Yeah. 
but she's she, the the things that she instilled in us were um, prayer and and sacrifice for family. And it, on on Easter, it was interesting. I was sitting around. We had our Easter Friday, all the family together. Um, and that's a lot of us now because I've got nine nieces and nephews. And I sat there and looked at my little mum and went, this is the only reason we're all here. Mm. And we all like each other. And that's it could cool. have gone horribly wrong, you know. But I say that's the grace of God. Yeah, mm. no kidding. In that kind of, you know, general um, yeah. pool of sin, what God wanted to do in the midst of your family, in the midst of your siblings, that's remarkable. Mm. It's incredible. Mm. You mentioned um, you mentioned the trip to Macca's and um, that just reminded me of the kind of the haves and the have nots. And, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say those are probably really endearing memories for you that, you know, walk to Macca's. And, you know, that's what we get to do when, you know, you would tell some, you would tell a kid that now and they'd be like, uh, I do that every day. You know, no big deal. But but what I was going to say was um, there was something that just dawned on me that that lack of having something when you get it, you're that much more appreciative. And I'd be curious to know that might parlay into some of your background and what you do. But um, would you say there's any truth to that? Like, do you look back on those memories as fond or, you know, how do you how do you look at that? I do. I do look at them fondly, like getting the old cricket poster when we could say two or beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, on a sesame seed bun in about 10 seconds. <laughs> so, you know, like all those sort of things and, and walking back and discussing what food we'd eaten and have, still having our little, you know, thick shake with us and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, I do. I do think back on those times fondly and all the nieces and nephews look at us and go, what the heck? <laughs> that we go well we used to walk you know when your parents used to go in my time (laughs) this is what we used to do you should be thankful (laughs) so it's so they just sort of look at us and roll their eyes half the time I think (laughs) but you know given how it's shaped me Mm. I think God um we all serve God based on a mixture of what he gives us and entrusts in us in our genetic material, how he develops us. Mm. But um, it's also shaped with how we have, you know, our life experiences, you know, and I think he uses everything. And I've seen that time and time again. He uses absolutely everything if we let him, if we pray that prayer, you know, yeah. let your will be done do something new um you know I think I I think for me um he intrinsically weaves things in and sometimes the crap of life is not fun Mm. and it's not great and it's painful and it's hard but if you allow it God uses it for his glory you know um and he he man the brokenness is something that I love that whole you know the Japanese pot thing where they break if the pot breaks they actually fix it with a a seam of gold Mm, and it becomes even more beautiful I love that analogy and Mm. I go well shish that's life that's how you know a life in God should be just because we're Christians doesn't mean something bad's not going to happen in fact inevitably it means something bad will happen (laughs) in one way shape or form unless you live an incredibly blessed cottonwool life yeah um yeah and and I just think how we respond to that and how we use it for him in the future is is really important. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I'm sitting on this side of um, the table, I think there are some 
philosophical generalities that are true that you're speaking into. And I'm curious to know, is that coming from a certain place? Is there a story or is there something that's on your mind as you're talking about, you know, God uh, transforming your life or um, taking something hard and making it beautiful or. Oh gosh, there's so much. <laughs> How many hours have you got here? Yeah. Um, you know, I just, you know, the, the story of, of um, you know, I, I, I've spent the last nine months off work. And that's been really hard mm. because I'm a doer. Um, and during COVID as well, I think that's what made it even harder was that, yeah. not, you know, there was nothing here. So I started writing. Mm-hmm. So I've been writing my story, my memoirs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's, and that's been quite cathartic because to have that time. So I, I sort of think working through that and getting a better understanding of who you are as a result of that and being able to put the past to bed because I'm really good at running from stuff mm-hmm. and not walking through it. And God said quite distinctly to me, and I know this sounds weird for some people, but a couple of years back um, there was some stuff going on and I, and I just and I, I succinctly remember hearing God say, I want you to walk through it. I don't want you to run away from it. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to run around it. I don't want you to dig under it. I want you to walk through it mm-hmm. and I'll be with you. And there's been so much from that that I've gained by actually allowing myself to walk through um, stuff that's not easy but actually looking at it rather than running away from it and, yeah, becoming a better person, I hope. As I say, sometimes I deal with it really well and sometimes I do it really badly. (laughs) I hear you, sister. For you, I I totally resonate with what you're saying, Um, objectively being able to look at yourself or your history, your past or your patterns of sin. But I'm curious to know, you don't even have to go into anyone specific, but I am curious to know, how do you walk through something as opposed to running around it? Like, what does that mean to you when you say that? What did that look like in practice? What was that like? Sitting in it, if it's a mess and it's hard, sitting in it and grabbing God with both arm hands and going, what are you trying to teach me here? Mm. I thought I learned this lesson. <laughs> and he goes, I'm peeling back the onion and I'm teaching you something deeper. Yes, you've learned part of it, but now you need to dig deeper. Why are you like you are? Why did I create you like you are? How are you going to become more whole and able to serve me in a way that's going to be more impactful. Mm. How, you know, how does that work? So, I mean, that that for me is like sitting in a space where you feel unsupported, where you feel unloved, where you feel like you're not being cared for, where you're feeling like you're stressed all the time and going, God, you're the only one I've got to hang on to here. So, <laughs> and he might bring a person, a friend into your life who who sends you a verse um, or he he um, sends someone to drop something at your door or you get a surprise bunch of flowers and all these things have happened mm-hmm. or you're sitting in, in unemployment and you've got two big bills coming and someone drops money into your account. It just blows me away. And I'm a big one on tithing. I've always, no matter how much money I have or haven't got, I've always promised God that I will do that. And I so... He gives you what you need, not what you want. And it's how you respond to that as well. Is this what I need? 
And why do I still want that? <laughs> why is that? So it makes you explore all those things. Yeah, I'm a coffee cup psychologist. <laughs> That's so good. It reminds me actually of, um, so when Megan was sick in hospital a couple of years ago, we had uh, the community rally around us in a really beautiful and unique way. And one of the things that she had expressed to me at that time was like her faith was really extended. Um, she had a hard time praying to God. She had a hard time keeping mental capacity and everything like that. But she was able to look back and see God's hand of work through the community, blessing her in very unique and very appropriate ways. Um, and that spoke volumes. Like we, I think as Christians, sometimes we expect God to um, not use people or something like that, you know, like supernaturally just chuck something in your way. But we miss that human element of actually what does God want to do through his people to bless each other? And um, you reminded me of that. And I just want to thank you for that because you're right. Like he, he uses us and we experience more of him in fellowship and, and as we are connected in that way. But you know what? It's so humbling. And at first somebody had offered, look, we really want to do this for you. And I said, no, 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 don't. No, I'm fine. No, no, I don't. And God went, you know what? You are stopping them from being able to bless from, um, from me to you. You're stopping them doing that. But your pride is getting in the way. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, he's right. <laughs> so I had to go back, double the humility and go, hi. You know how I said this? been chatting and they laugh their heads off <laughs> and I was thinking you know they'd given me a certain amount no they paid they ended up I didn't tell them how much my bills were and they paid them mm. and I just again I go hark back to what I saw through the power of prayer as a kid mm. and I see God doing the same thing for me and like I I um I had I don't I had no jobs for as I said for nine months and now I start my new job tomorrow. Oh, wow. And I not only got one job, I got two jobs. Nice. <laughs> so I'm like one of them is a, is a community um, member of the adult parole board. So it's your past again, use, God using it when you allow him to actually come full circle and you to make good and be someone of God's um you can ambassador for God without people knowing it and organisations like that need people who who are intrinsically listening to God and prayerful. So, you know, I don't think he yeah. puts places where he can't trust you. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. good. You reminded me, you said that word blessed earlier, and um, I just can't remember where I picked it up, but someone was talking about it, and they said a helpful way to think of the word blessed is God's kingdom coming to earth. You experiencing a foretaste and a, and a uh, yeah, foretaste of heaven. You experience a foretaste of God's spirit at work. And I just thought that was such a helpful thing because that word blessed can be such a um, flexible word, you know, a, a throwaway word or, um, you know, just this really loaded word. But but to think about a foretaste of heaven, to think about a, a moment of eternity and what that looks like for what we do to, for each other, uh, it's a really helpful way. And actually the where I want to go with that and where I kind of want to um, segue into is, um, your blessing of other people, like you being um, God's hand and feet in, um, look, the world, we'll call it social justice, or, you know, we'll, we'll say these different things, but um curious to know where your heart originated for that kind of work, that style of work. And was that a moment? Was that a uh, an education process? Where did that begin? 
Oh, my bleeding heart syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we look back at my past and we go, um, now I've always been a justice orientated person. Now where our family was one where mum would buy a, a you're not allowed to laugh too hard. She would <laughs> buy a, a container of Tim Tams and she'd have to separate them all up and you had your two or three or whatever it is, and if you ate them quickly, that was your problem, or if you were my sister and and licked the chocolate off and went, hmm, in front of other people, then that was, you know, your thing. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's it's that otherwise if someone gets more, that's not fair. Mm. If someone does this, that's not fair. Now, we, our, my dad's, um, we didn't get an inheritance from my dad or very little because it was all tied up in a whole range of things, which is another mm. material altogether. Yeah. But it was that that's not fair. And I think for me, I've always, as I said, been a social justice person. Um, and I want to talk about the difference between justice and mercy because there are there is a difference. Um, justice is speaking for the voiceless and making sure that you are ensuring that a group of people have justice or are able to receive the right thing. Mercy is when you care and you're kind to one person or, you know, people. I sort of go, there's the caring, kinding element and then there's the justice. That's not fair. And and um, I think for me, being a voice for the voiceless is really important and I've been doing it for over 30 years now. It's kind of scary, huh? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's you, you learn that the it's not fair and, I, and from my past, like growing up with not much, that's not fair. So that how do I make sure that doesn't happen to anyone else? How can I use the gifts and skills and talents and experience that God's given me to make a difference? And I think um, God's given me an ability to talk and speak, as you've noticed. Um, so therefore maybe part of that is advocating on behalf of other people, which in over the years I've done in different in different issues. Um, I, I have to work. I don't, when you work in the not-for-profit space, you don't earn a lot of money um, comparatively, but you get that whole, um, I'm, I'm not working to get someone else rich. I'm working because I'm helping people. And for me, that's really important. My why, why do I do this? has to be intrinsically helping, making sure that people are cared for, are loved, know that they're, um, they've got things they need. Um, yeah, that's that's probably where it came from. And like my my mum and dad both, I grew up watching um, dad work. He was, before he, he, we came to Melbourne, he was working for the YMCA. Um, mum was always, mum has taught religious educations in schools um, this is the first year she had. Last year was the first year she hasn't done it since I was five. Mm. <laughs> so she's she, you know, it's we've seen had it modelled to us what volunteerism looks like, what caring for other people looks like, um, and when you yeah you mix that as I say with how God's created you, what your experiences have been, and you know you come off with a Molotov cocktail called me. <laughs> That's great, Amanda. Hey. Um- where is that advocacy you said it's taken you on kind of several different journeys and things like that and um I don't think there's a right or a wrong but where is your heart kind of more inclined like what people group or what kind of causes and and maybe why as it relates to the the who and the yeah look um yeah that's a really good one because I I I think 
Poverty and homelessness is always something that's there. Um, I've travelled the world a lot and I've seen, like, I mean, I think one story for me is when I went to Malawi. I used to work for World Vision and I went to Malawi and we were, we got our, our dinners, our lunches given to us and we are going out in the field and they give us like a hamburger that had been cooked in the morning wrapped in plastic when it was still hot and chips wrapped in plastic still hot, you know, to eat three or four hours later without any ice box or anything um so we get out I remember once it was raining torrential downpour and we stopped near this shop to get some drinks and we sat down and there was this woman with a little baby and the baby looked so sick and she looked so her husband had a bike and they were taking this baby to hospital we found out through an interpreter and I just went um knowing that you know they usually work for one or two dollars a day. They usually don't have a very big food thing happening. And I, I said to the person who was with me, I said, can you ask her if she'd like my lunch? I'd like to give her my lunch. And um, you know, when someone offers you something like that, you go, oh, no, no, I'm fine here. She goes, yep. And she takes it. Yeah. And next thing you know, a horrified me sees her posting soggy old three-hour-old chips down her child's mouth. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that baby's too young for that. Now, this baby that looked five months old was actually three and a half years old. And it, I just, that sort of thing breaks my heart. And it's just how can we, we live in a world where we were given we have, if everyone shared equally, we would have enough resources for everybody to have. But we're being part of the haves. Basically, how do we share that? <laughs> and do we want? And and do we want to? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, how many people want to say, "Oh, well, you know, I want to give up this to help yeah. others." It's yeah. it's really it's a really hard question to answer. And it's, I suppose, and where I come to is, well, you do what you can do. Mm. And you don't, like I I had, used to have a whole lot of youth ambassadors at World Vision and they'd say to me, I'm going to come and join World Vision and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And they're studying law and all these amazing things. And I go, no, I want you out in the real world. And they look at me and go, what? I'm going, because you can then impact and infect other people the way other people think. Because a lot of people, when they don't get it, don't get it. Yeah. So it's not until we start talking about those issues and and showing people, you know, it's like at the moment with, with domestic violence being such a, a thing that's open, like it's opened the, candle, the Pandora's box here with the COVID stuff mm-hmm. and it's, it's front of mind. But, you know, it's been going on for, for decades. Of course. <laughs> You know, it takes, you know, does that make sense if I answered your question? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, I, if I'm being honest, like I'm trying to figure out, so one of the things that in the, in the volunteering or giving space or all of that, there is an alarming and overwhelming number of needs and causes in the world. And I think of it on the other end, because you're talking about the haves and the have nots and I, I think of that, I'm like, I know I'm a have. Like, I know God's richly and has abundantly blessed me. And yet there's no shortage of of causes to give towards and no um, shortage of um, conversations to enter in and and to care about and things to care about. So I'm reflecting in that moment and curious to know with your different background, 
in reaching people um, for specific causes or, you know, um, working on charters, boosters, fundraising, all of that kind of stuff. How do you, how do you navigate that well? Um, and, and one of the things I'm, I'm curious to know, is it like when you're, when you're working on a fundraiser, is it, you know, we're going to put everything out there and go after it crazy hard, or is there any aspect of measured fundraising or do you know what I'm asking as it relates to that question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it is really hard to work out what you should support or what you should do. Mm-hmm. And that I think that's a question of what what really floats your boat, what really makes you angry or what really makes you think. Some, for some people it's kids, you know, kids growing up in poverty internationally or kids here in Australia or um, adults who are homeless. What? And once again, your past is going to help dictate what do you what is it you mull over when you watch the television and something comes on news and go that's bad mm. that's really not right mm. it's it's getting from that point to going how do I make do something that's different in this space for what how do I give into mm. it? sorry sorry um, a lot of the time <clears throat> we think throwing money at things is what has to happen and for people like homeless people, that's the worst thing you can do, throw them money. Because a lot of the time you don't know where that money's going. I, I, I saw, I was with, um, with my little mum the other day and there was this homeless guy sitting on the bench and, and I said, looked at him and I went, hey, mate, have you, had a, have you had food? Do you want some? He goes, yep, I want a chicken Caesar salad from Coles, thanks. He knew exactly what he wanted. It was hilarious. <laughs> and um, I had this woman come up to me and go, oh, good on you for doing that. That's fantastic. And I'm thinking to myself, isn't that what you just do? Someone is clearly, you know, it's, it's opening your eyes and seeing what's around you and seeing what ways you can in your sphere, in your, in your sphere of influence, how you can do something that's different. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and being aware that it shouldn't suck the joy out of your life because if you care about everything, you just care about, you just explode, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and a lot of it for me is, you know, asking God, what is it you're wanting me to to do, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, and, that's really and, good. And it doesn't mean you need to throw money at it because, as I say to people all the time, have you got time? Have you got resources? Have you got funds? Mm-hmm. How can you give generously out of what you've got? It's not just about, you know, money. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, sometimes church work is just as important in terms of are you reaching people who are in that demographic? Mm-hmm. Are you are you making sure that they are aware that there are people who, who you know, I know Megan, your wife, is is working with city kids. There's going to be kids in that space who are don't have, and she's got prime position to love on them in a way that's going to be tangible, and that's great, mm-hmm. you know, and that's doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and first and foremost, as well, I think. And um, some people disagree with my thoughts on this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think our relationship with God is the most important thing and how we relate and respond to him, then our family and then our ministry. And it's not getting ministry and our relationship with God mixed up. Yeah. Sometimes we think ministering in a way or involved in a ministry is, is our relationship with God. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's two different things. Yeah. And I think we get... We've been, God gives us family for a reason. 
Mm-hmm. And serving them and making sure they become whole, healthy people is really important. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a question for you. This one might be a tough one, but as you're talking about um, the haves and ministry and, and et cetera, I actually what sparked this thought was the fact that you uh, gave that homeless person a sandwich and it was like, yeah, of course, isn't this just what we do? Um, I definitely understand that mindset. And yet I've known some people within the church um, just the church in general, not any one specific church, but that have a real hard time just bridging the gap of humanity. Like that is another person made in the image of God. So therefore I'm going to, you know, move aside or, or not be welcoming, kind, whatever it is. And I'm curious to know, what are your reflections, uh, rightly or wrongly in the nonprofit sector, as you've seen the church interact in that? So areas of wins, maybe like, wow, the church really uh, above and beyond has helped in this way or, or shaped a culture in this way. Maybe they need a little bit of help in this, or there's still some continued conversations to be had in this area. Um, and then how does that also, ha- how does that engage with the world? You know, if you're in a secular nonprofit, some of those areas that you've seen that are um, both, you know, what we would call good and bad, I suppose. Have you seen that? Look, I think, gosh, really good question, Dom. Um, I think that a lot of the nonprofits in Australia, particularly and probably in the States as well, have been founded by Christians, you know, the old school, um, Melbourne City Mission, Mission Australia, World Vision, Salvation Army, they're all grounded and started because a Christian person said, this is not right. Mm-hmm. We need to do something about it. And unfortunately, sometimes that gets completely um, stuffed up and people make, you know, sin sin enters and they they stuff up royally. That happens. Um, But something I think what I I struggle with is when the church sees it as a we need to do this and we need to tell people we're doing it and let's, let's look at how this is how good we are. Sure. Yeah. Or we're checking a box. We're, we're we're providing hope for the homeless or hope for the you know the the bereft or the those living in poverty. We're doing that. That's great. Checkbox. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I constantly say and no, it's about doing life, and it's not about. And you know what? I I applaud those people who do things like actually go and live in halfway houses and shelters and can do that. I personally can't do that. Mm-hmm because I would, it, it's not something I, that is in my skill set or my giftings. But what I can do is use my marketing background or my event management background or my advocacy background to make a difference on their behalf. It's finding your, your little, where you live, you know, what your things are. Um, I think when, when there's a lot of not-for-profits out there and the pie of money doesn't get any bigger, but the, it's one of the fastest growing sectors. Um, because everyone goes, oh, I've had this ha- this issue with cancer happen in my family, I'm going to start a foundation or I'm going to start a such and such when there's already one happening over here. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's like how do you, um, how do you immobilise mobilize the church to do, to care for the poor, like in Micah 6, 8, mm-hmm. walk humbly with their God and, and you know, Act justly. I can't remember the actual verse, but you know That's what right. I'm yeah. talking about. Mercy. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. That verse is quite is for me is is 
how do you do that? How do you walk humbly with your God and act justly and and, and do good? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's finding those causes that resonate with you and that, that break your heart mm-hmm. and using what you've got, whether it be, as I say, money, time or essence to do something. Um, mm-hmm. Where I've seen churches do it good, um, you know, Urban Seed, who are no longer functioning, but they, they did halfway house in their church building. Mm-hmm. And they, they have people coming every day for meals and they build relationship with them, with people who came in. And that's the thing that I think is it's not a drive-through Kentucky Fried Blessing, here you go, here's some, here's some food, off you go. It's we care about you as a person, as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, oh, my goodness, it's not an easy win. It's not something you can just do once and then go, I don't really like that. <laughs> mm. I mean, I don't know about you, but people who come from um, bad backgrounds or hard backgrounds, they set themselves up for rejection. Mm. And they say, see, I told you, you were just going to leave. Mm. I knew you were going to do that. Mm. Um, they almost, I mean, I know as a kid from divorce, I don't know mm-hmm. if you did the same thing. You know, well, they're going to leave anyway. So, I'll, you know, make it, make sure it's on my terms. You do it mm-hmm. because it's it's protecting your heart or protecting you. And a lot of people don't get that. So they go into this, I'm going to be doing ministry with the um, with the homeless. And then when they swear or say something that's a bit scary or, or you know, they're drug addled or something, they go, oh, I didn't like that. <laughs> but they're not. Yeah. yeah. And the, it's the not will like, you accept me, right? The, it's the yeah. will you accept me for who I am kind of, kind of, um, yeah. There was one guy at many rooms that made me laugh. He came in and he was always grumpy as all get out. He was drug, he was on drugs. Mm-hmm. And he just he'd swear and carry on. And I'm going, my my goal was I'm gonna make him say smile at me. <laughs> I'm gonna make him smile at me. So I went, oh mate, don't take this the wrong way. But would you um would you like a care pack? He goes, What's that? I'm going, well, toothbrush, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, Yep. So what's your name? He goes, Mitch. Oh, Mitch, there you go. Gave it to him. He runs off, does his teeth. It's been a long time since I've done that. <laughs> You're just the simple things. The next week, smiling at me. <laughs> okay, Mitch. Oh, hi. <laughs> it's, it's like it's not, you know, it's actually recognising that someone's there mm. and they're not invisible. It's the worst, I think it's the worst thing in the world to feel invisible. And to feel like no one sees you or no one cares. And sometimes a smile is if that, that could be part of you giving is if you see someone who looks down and out, just look at them going, hey, how you going, mate? Or, you know, it's as simple as that. Yeah. yeah it's quite and it's hard. A lot of people don't know how to approach those sorts of people either. Yeah. But if you have a smile on your face. I had a guy the other day and he was obviously, I don't know what was going on, but he parked in the wrong spot and the girl at the cafe was really, oh, he, he just tooted someone he was really aggressive. And I, and I went up to him, oh, mate, you parked in the wrong spot. I just did it myself a few minutes. and goes, oh, thanks, love. Goes out, pulls out, and she goes, how did you do that? I thought he was going to beat someone up. <laughs> yeah. And they're people. <laughs> it's so good, Amanda. I reckon that's... That's such an interesting thing, right? Because um, a lot of the a lot of what you're just kind of describing, what you're talking about, is 
um, areas of sociology, right? Like areas of acceptance of people, areas of conformity, areas of, wow, I can't do this socially or I can't bridge this gap. Um, but it's such a wonderful um, testimony of who you are when you stand like Jesus stood in that gap that says, there's something wrong here relationally there's breakdown and a lot of people are standing on the sideline like i don't know how to enter into this gap or i don't know what to do to bridge that or i'm uncomfortable socially and i i think uh, i just want to applaud you for that because there is an aspect of character that says uh, i will step into that gap because it's socially uncomfortable but it's necessary right please don't applaud me for that it's you know that's that comes through Years of trial and error. <laughs> I hear you. I'm like, it's one of those things that um, my, my, both of my parents, my dad and mom, I'm so thankful to them because they modeled well um, the normality of homelessness. Just, uh, sorry, maybe not normality, uh, just that they're not, um, no, they're no, a person, they're, yeah, they're a person that has just gotten it, gone, gotten tough times, you know, and, and that's what they modeled for me. And so from a very young age, you know, I would, they would ask me to go hand them money or talk with them, you know? And so um, that trial and error over years and years and years, there's some uncomfortable conversations uh, and there's some, you know, quote unquote losses like, oh, wow, that went really crap. Um, but, but there's also some beautiful wins of just that practice and that um, desire uh, to draw near. Yeah. And look, I, I just, I also want to say that God, God does gift us all differently because if we're all doing the same thing and, like, I don't want anyone to to listen to this and go, oh, my goodness, I, I don't do that. Maybe I need to do that. Mm. It, it, seek God and ask him what he thinks you want to do. How is he, like I say, every, he says in the Bible that everyone should evangelise, that you should be an event that ev there are evangelists, but we should all evangelise. Mm -hmm. It's the same with mercy and justice. We should all show mercy and justice, but there are people who God has gifted in a certain way that they that they can do that in a different, you know, it's their heart. It's what God's gifted them to do. I cannot evangelise. <laughs> I can build relationship with people and tell them about Jesus when I know them well enough and know they're not going to look at me and go, you've got two heads. Um, but you know what I mean? It's not. I'm not one of those people who's going to hop into a cabin so, so. Do you know my friend Jesus? He's sitting right here. I can't do that. Right. Absolutely. How do you, so as we kind of close and we start to move towards the back end of it, how do you, because um, I know you uh, mentor young women and, and help uh, a lot of young women, how do you get them to see their role in the body? You know, like even earlier, as I was mentioning, like there's so many different causes or there's, and you're talking about, you know, evangelists and, and um, the call to different areas. How do you go about that process? Oh, gosh, it's coaching more than telling them what they should do. It's saying, well, you know, what has God laid on your heart? Or what has, um, what is it that floats your boat? What do you love doing? What do you love doing for God? How do you want to use that? Are you administratively minded? And how are you going to serve God in that way? Are you um, a hand, like, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a storyteller. I'm a, you know, this, that and the other. How am I going to use that to tell the story of people who need me to tell their story mm. in a place where it's going to be um, mm. useful? It's, it's all that sort of stuff. It's finding your, your feet and finding out what it is. Like my mum is, she loves children and it's always been her heart to have children come to know Jesus 
and and you go put her in front of a, a group of adults and she'd curl up in a ball <laughs> but put her in front of kids and she loves it she's on the floor with them playing with them all that sort of stuff it's it's and and, and then, you know what it could even be animals they're all god's creation <laughs> it's like finding right you know I'm, I'm not a huge animal person but there's people out there who adore animals and it's like well they're still god's creation why shouldn't we care for animals as well Absolutely. Uh, it, it's finding it's finding what resonates with you and and asking the question of god what is it that you have what have you built in me that you want me to explore in your name? Mm, and yes. sometimes you, you have hits and misses and, and you've got to come at it with the right motivation as well, you know. It's like am I doing this for me to make me look a certain way or am I doing this because it's what I believe God wants me to do? Mm. Yeah, it's good. What do you think, um, yeah, last question. What do you think as we, as we think on eternal justice and eternal mercy, what are your current reflections, your eschatology, your thoughts on the eternity? Like what, what do you think that that looks like or what is it something that excites you or, um, or makes you thankful in your heart and mind about? Um, I think, and I get this wrong myself a lot, but I love there's a T-shirt going around that I've seen online that I love. It says, be kind. And, and, you know, we miss out on so much when we don't have a smile for someone or, or be kind in, in ways that we can. And in eternity, I, I just, I, I think that very childlike, simple way of thinking about things is that we can show kindness here that will reflect who Jesus is. And how do we do that? As I say, I, I get it wrong so often, so, so often because I'm human. Um, but, you know, I just, how does it how does it look to walk beside someone who's hurting or in pain or sick? And how do you be kind? And it's, I think, you know, how do you love, loving people is so important. Does that, that doesn't really answer your question, I know, but it's, I just think, how do you best love people and find the way that thoughtfully speaks to their heart? Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. I mean, you know, we, we uh, kindness is a word that is really worthwhile. <laughs> kindness is a word that will echo into eternity. And um, we know that love will last, but kindness brings about a different kind of uh, both motivation and a different kind of, I think, outpouring. There's something really good about that word. So, yeah, and I think hope breeds hope. Mm. So good. Well, thank you for your time today, Amanda. It was awesome chatting with you. No worries, Dom. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening today. If you found this episode helpful, please do share it with a friend. We want others to uh, embrace this unscripted life, this uh, life apart from promotion or perfection, but honesty and purity and love. So until we catch up again, let's consider how we may spur each other on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, but encouraging each other as we see the day approaching. Love you guys. Peace.